1: Hello, welcome to Smart People Podcast, where we are having conversations that hopefully satisfy your curious mind. This week should be no different, and at the same time, we're going to save your life. We are talking to Dr. William Lee specifically about what foods will help you beat disease. Before we get into that, though, a quick shout out. We got a few new Patreon supporters, and it was awesome just seeing that in the inbox and then chatting with you. So Alicia, Pete, Cameron, Bjorn, Alex, you guys rock. You can head over to patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast and support the show just like those folks and get some great perks such as ad-free episodes sent straight to your phone via your own RSS feed. If you don't know what that is, I would Google it. John had to explain it to me. It's crazy. So help us get everyone smarter by supporting us at patreon.com slash smart people podcast. So our guest this week, Dr. William Lee is a world renowned physician, scientist, speaker, and the author of the new book, eat to beat disease, the new science of how your body can heal itself. Specifically, I ask him right off the bat this idea of new science. What is that new science? Are we just sitting here talking about eat healthy food? Well, we're not. And what you're gonna hear is so cool because what Dr. Lee talks about, both in this episode and in his book, is that there are specific foods we can eat to stave off specific diseases, which can be useful if you know you're prone to something. Additionally, He talks about some of the most important things in our health that aren't getting enough coverage, such as the word that I struggled to pronounce, angiogenesis. You know we always like learning about food, like learning about health, and like getting smarter and healthier at the same time, which we're doing in this episode. So let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Dr. William Lee, as we talk about his new book, Eat to Beat Disease, the new science of how your body can heal itself. Enjoy. I've been really focused on how food complements our health, but also how it can hurt us. I've noticed in myself, it becomes a little obsessive. I tend to then worry about food. Can I eat this? Can I not? And with the science seemingly changing, it causes a good bit of anxiety. And I know this is something you deal with. So for people like myself who are really trying to do the right thing, but we get
2: caught up in so many
1: different opinions what is your general advice
2: when i when i actually um approach food uh myself on a personal level i i really kind of approach it in two basic fun two basic ways the first is i try to use my knowledge about what is good for me and i try to focus on what's good for me more so than try to figure out and think about what's bad for me because I'm somebody, which I'm sure a lot of your podcast listeners are, um, similar, that would really rather not spend my time thinking about um, thinking thoughts that are really based on fear, uh, guilt, um, uh, or regret. And I think that so much of the conversation about food and health, you know, surrounds you know deprivation. Don't do this. Don't do that. This is really bad for you. And I really try to because I love food. Um, I want to be able to embrace what I like, and so I number one try to figure out what it is that is good for me, and really focus on that, those things, those food items. And then secondly, I try to figure on uh, figure out what it is that I'm I want, um, what I enjoy eating, and if I can find the intersection between what I love to eat and what's good for me, those are the ways that I actually converge. The, the two priorities that I actually have and I think that you know if you really were to try that or your podcast listeners were to try that all of a sudden you know you can remove a lot of this extra clutter that's out there that sometimes seems hard to clear up all this confusion what, you know like something they say is bad for you today somebody else says it's good for you tomorrow and then it's bad again i get whiplash like everyone else so i try to use the science and the reason i wrote my book eat to beat disease is to really try to clear up that confusion by taking the facts that science gives us and putting it out there, so everybody can see, you. that's called transparency. Mm-hmm. Once you figure that out, and then think about what it is you like, what do you love, and what do you want right now, when you can match up those goals, um, uh, uh, then you're in, uh, you're in a good starting point.
1: When you talk about the science, your book is very specifically titled, you know, "Eat to Beat Disease," which I love, and then it's. The New Science of How Your Body Can Heal Itself. And I I know a thing about titles. I know a lot of that has to do with editors and things like that. But what is the new science and how does it differ perhaps from things we've thought in the past?
2: Right. Well, listen, um, that uh, that subtitle, The New Science of How the Body Heals Itself, is in fact the beating heart to my book, Eat to Beat Disease. And I actually came up with that title because what is really important to me, look, I'm a medical doctor. I'm a scientist. Um, I spent the last, you know, 20 some years, um, doing what I was trained to do by, um, medical school and, and, and residency training, which is to, you know, see patients diagnose disease, um, uh, and, and treat it with prescriptions or, or surgery or, um, other kinds of, um, mechanical things that the hospital, um, has at hand. And it was after, seeing patients time after time again, that I realized that despite whatever diagnosis I gave them and whatever it is that I was going to prescribe to them uh, after they put on their coat and were ready to leave my clinic office, um, they would kind of pop back in and say, Hey doc, one more thing. Um, can you tell me what I can do for myself? What should I eat? Like that was the most common thing that I heard. And I realized that, you know, Everybody was interested in what they should eat to help beat their disease that I had just diagnosed for them, Um, but I would never been taught that in medical school. Shockingly, I realized that although I had many other answers, I had no way to answer that question, and I felt that was wrong, and that's what really set me on this journey to really understand what is actually happening uh, in understanding how food uh, and health actually interact. And that's really what what led me to the new science. So here's really kind of like the punchline here. When it comes to food and health, it's not just about the food, which is why there's no superfood, super supplement, magic pill. Um, When it comes to food and health, it's as much about how your body responds to what you put inside it. And the body and, and how it reacts to things is exactly what I spent 25 years working on at my nonprofit called the Angiogenesis Foundation, we have always been interested in understanding what it is that falls off the shelf when we lose our health. What, it is, what is it that is happening when we get sick? And how do we restore, you know, put the things back on the shelf so our health is back in order again? And I've done this, you know, time and time and again for more than 30 FDA-approved drugs and medical devices, so I've got some real street cred in understanding the science behind putting uh, order back on the shelf to regain health as a way of fighting disease. And what I realized is that that same approach could lead us to a new science to understand how the body heals itself when it comes to food. And what I discovered is that our body stays healthy, not because it's diseases in there, but because it has uh, five health defense systems that are hardwired into us, we're born with them, and they are um, firing in all cylinders from the time, you know, we take our first breath after being spanked by the obstetrician until our very last breath um, uh, before we die. These health defense systems represent how we're thinking now about health, and it is a new science, and we're beginning to realize remarkable things about how our body is hardwired to keep us healthy. And if you really want to understand how foods can be useful in a beneficial way, then you start there by understanding how our own bodies work. It's kind of like know thyself first before you start throwing stuff um, uh, from the uh, refrigerator at it. Yeah, well,
1: here's what I want to do. I, I want to cover the five defense systems. I want to learn about that. I want to learn really how does our body keep us healthy. And then, and I'm not asking you to cover all this now. I'm just letting the listeners know. And then I want to talk about how food really manipulates those systems. That's kind of the the way I want to go through this. And then of course, getting to towards the end of what foods do you recommend? Which ones don't you? Because I, I think what's interesting, we talked at the beginning of determining what's good and what do we like. And I think that's the hard part is what's good is the hard part. So First, tell us about this science, about these natural defense systems. What are they? How do they help us?
2: Right. So when it comes to sort of this new science of how the body can heal itself, uh, which I write about in my book, Eat to Beat Disease, it's pretty simple. A lot of the new science is based on what our grandmothers told us from the time we were kids, right? Stay warm. uh, You know, a cold will break down your immune system and then you'll get sick or exercise and you'll stay healthier, Um, or make sure you've got good circulation. Um, uh, You want good circulation to be able to be healthy. And even, you know, things like in our gut, you know, like if your tummy is upset, maybe, you know, you're not eating the right thing. So, you know, that's grandma's wisdom going back generations. Let me fast forward you to where we are today. Um, When you say, when you ask the average person, you know, what is health? You know, ask somebody who's an athlete, an Olympian, or ask somebody who you know really stays in good shape. They're going to tell you, you know, like I'm healthy because you know what health is is the absence of disease. Well, it's really difficult to get your hand around the head around the absence of something. It's really hard to do something about something that's absent. And so I began asking the question, uh, what is it that health is a result of, and our health is a result of systems in our body that are hardwired to function to keep us, our systems, I mean our our bodies, our cells working in their optimal ways and also to resist disease. Let me tell you five of them and I'll tell you a little bit about each. The first is a system called angiogenesis. That's a fancy Greek word that is really easy. It actually um, uh, describes how the body grows blood vessels. Why are blood vessels important? Well, because there's 60,000 miles worth of blood vessels, our circulation, tucked under our skin and into our bodies. That is so extensive that if you were to pull out all the blood vessels in our body and line them up end to end, it'd form a line that would that would wrap around the earth twice. So you got you to gotta think about how powerful that system actually is. Um, it brings oxygen and nutrients to every single cell in your body, whatever you eat, good or bad. They go through that bloodstream, and they and the blood vessels deliver them right to um, uh, the the final cell. Okay, so we know angiogenesis is important. Um, so that's one way um, we stay healthy. And if you, by the way, if you have if you don't have enough blood vessels, what happens to your to your organs? They die. That's what happens after a heart attack um, mm-hmm. or a stroke. And if you have too many blood vessels, what happens? Well, excessive blood vessels. Um, particularly ones that don't form normally, can bleed. And if that happens, for example, in your eye, you'll go blind, like diabetic retinopathy or macular degeneration. These are the most common causes of blindness um, in the United States. Um, or if, uh, uh, if they grow in your joints, blood vessels grow in your joints and they leak, um, those, the leaking blood vessels will actually destroy your joints, and we see that in arthritis, with inflammation. And, and here's the worst part. That if you have blood vessels that grow into microscopic cancers that we're, our bodies are forming all the time, the moment those blood vessels touch a small, tiny tumor that you know doesn't have a blood supply, suddenly that cancer is being fed and is getting oxygen. And researchers have shown that once angiogenesis hits a tumor, it can grow sixteen thousand times in size in just two weeks. Wow. So. Our body has to defend ourselves against heart attacks, strokes, blindness, cancer by maintaining the perfect balance, just the right amount um, uh, of blood vessels at all times so that you know, we're, what, whatever we're eat, eating and breathing will, get, will feed perfectly um, our healthy cells. Think about it like a lawnmower you know, um, uh, on a perfect lawn. You mow the lawn. Uh, if you don't have enough lawn, you need to seed it, you know, so you actually get more blood vessels growing. But you don't want the lawn to overgrow either. You know, the weeds, when they overgrow, you get to mow the lawn and get it right back in that perfect state. That is one of the most important um, health defense systems in the body. And that is still new information, which is part of the new science of how your body can heal itself. Right, And right. there are other ones as well.
1: Yeah, that angiogenesis is the first part of your book. And it was fascinating. I had never really heard of it put that way before. And I think this idea of controlling, essentially, blood flow with what we eat it just seemed bizarre, frankly.
2: Well, it's it's the reality. Yeah. And we know, for example, that if you um, eat foods that... Um, uh contain a lot of nitrates which most people have thought were bad for you you know like everybody says don't eat um, hot dogs because they contain nitrites yeah. or nitrates right well yeah i mean that's one reason not to eat hot dogs but i can tell you that um, a, a serving of spinach has about 12 times more nitrates than a hot dog does right what? and we know that, and we know that spinach is good for you well look nitrates come out of the ground plants need nitrates if you ever if you're a gardener you know that you need that soil to actually have a lot of nitrogen. So you pick a, and even if you grow it organically, you pick it out of the ground, uh, a serving of spinach will have 12 times the number, amount of nitrates in a hot dog will actually have. All right, now so what do nitrates do? When you eat the nitrates um, from, a, from a serving of spinach, the first thing is that um, you chew it, uh, the nitrates get released in your mouth, the bacteria in your mouth, by the way, the healthy bacteria, um, actually have a chemical reaction with those nitrates, you swallow it, your stomach absorbs those nitrates, and guess what they do? They dilate your blood vessels so you're to control your blood pressure. Mm. So that's a simple way of lowering your blood pressure simply by eating the right foods. So again, this is the new science helping us rethink you know, what we thought we knew about foods, Nitrates bad? No, nitrates good. Hot dogs bad? Yeah, well, they they are bad. Spinach good? Yeah, they're good too. And now we know another reason, besides simply all the good vitamins and minerals and bioactives, is that you know the nitrates that they're actually giving us are also good. So that's an example of being able to dilate blood vessels. Um, green tea. We know that green tea is good for us, right? I mean, I, I yeah. haven't seen a single research study yet that says that drinking green tea is not good for us. So, and by the way, I drink about um, five or six cups of green tea every single day. Why? Cause I love it. Um, uh, but I'll tell you, I, I have a family reason why my great uncle who, um, grew up and lived in China, he lived to 105 years old and every morning, and he lived at the base of a mountain that grew green tea. And every morning at four o'clock in the morning, he'd walk up this hill and he'd be drinking green tea. And so somehow from the time I was a little kid, um, uh, after I went to visit him, I, I started to realize, you know what? This is probably a good thing to do. But that said, green, what does green tea have in it? Well, it's got polyphenols. One of them, which is called EGCG, the names really don't matter, but what matters is what we now know they do. They actually, when we, when we uh, drink green tea, those natural polyphenols circulate in our bloodstream, right? Um, and what they do is they mow the lawn, of the angiogenesis of the of our circulation so that if there are any extra blood vessels like the kind of blood vessels that might be thinking about feeding cancers or that cancers might try to hijack to feed themselves it just mows those and prunes away those extra blood vessels and so it actually can starve a cancer by cutting off its blood supply hmm. et prevents cancer development which is a really great thing
1: right
0: and now a quick word from this week's sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by ShipStation. The holiday rush is coming, and if you sell stuff online, you better get ready with ShipStation. With more people buying online than ever before, you have to be able to ship orders out quickly, efficiently, and affordably. But how do you keep track of all those orders? Or decide which shipping carrier to use? Or if you're getting the best rates? Luckily, ShipStation can help. With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door, and delivered in time for the holidays. Getting started with ShipStation is so easy. You select your selling channel, your shipping carrier, your label layout, you pick your ship from location, and that's it, you're ready to go. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, and UPS, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customers. They even offer big discounts on shipping costs. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. So listen up. Take the hassle out of the holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it with ease. Just use our offer code SMART to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no-hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in SMART. That's ShipStation.com, and enter offer code SMART. ShipStation. Make ship happen. And now back to the episode.
1: Well... And this is how you talk about it in the book when you say eat to beat disease, because you're saying there are obviously certain things that cause certain diseases. And if we know what those things are and how food interacts with it. So, angiogenesis we have covered is along the lines of cancers, blood flow, et cetera. Tell us about regeneration. That's the next one. What does that system look like and what does it protect us from?
2: When we were in grade school, uh, or even kindergarten, our teachers probably told all of us, I know mine did, that salamanders can regenerate, um, starfish can regenerate if they lose an arm, um, but people can't regenerate, unfortunately. Well, guess what? That's false. We, the science has now advanced to know that people do regenerate. Parts of us regenerate all the time, every day. Our liver regenerates. If you cut off two-thirds of our liver, it'll grow right back. Our lung regenerates. If you actually kind of um, injure part of the lung, it'll regenerate right around there. And then what about other regenerative parts of our body? Our hair regenerates. Our skin regenerates. Um, you know, uh, so it's one of the, and by the way, our, our, the, the lining of our mouth regenerates. Our gut regenerates. Think about, you know, if you've ever eaten a, a, a something sharp or, or crusty and scraped your mouth, right? Like, man, that hurts. Um, and then you wind up getting like a little wound but I can tell you that skin will regenerate. So the next day you're not feeling it quite so much. Right. So what, what, what does regeneration mean? It means, um, what, what do we know about it? It's not just healing. It turns out that our, our, our body contains stem cells. These are cells that are, it's kind of like, um, like, uh, a block of raw clay that hasn't figured out what it's going to be yet. You know, the statue of David, um, compared to a block of raw, a, a, a piece of raw clay. Um, a stem cell is capable of becoming anything, and they and these stem cells live inside our bone marrow and in our fat and in other and even in our skin, and whenever our body needs to regenerate something, like if we have an injury or you know there's a small little tear that needs uh, uh, repairing, um, the stem cells in our uh, inside our bone marrow in like inside our bones. Will sense that need to regenerate. They'll come flying out like bees come out of a hive, and they will zoom right to the site that needs to be repaired or regenerated or restored. And they will um, get in that area, and they, because they used to be the blocks of clay that hadn't figured out what they need to be. Once they're in that space, they will say, "Hey, where am I? Oh, I'm in a liver. Okay, I guess I'll turn into a liver. I'm in the skin. I guess I'll turn into the skin." And they will regenerate that spot. Kind of in the same way that starfish regenerate or salamanders regenerate. It's quite amazing. Now, obviously, we can't grow arms or legs, but I can tell you that we can regenerate our organs and we need to do this um, throughout our lives, except that when we're aging, um, we actually lose, by the time we're sort of in our 60s and 70s, we learn about, we lose about 50% of our body's ability to regenerate. So our regenerative capacity declines as we age. But guess what? there are um, and there's a lot of biotech companies that are trying to figure out how to inject chemicals or uh, or cells uh, to really try to speed up regeneration but guess what food mother nature's figured this out already there are foods that can actually activate our body's ability to regenerate and one of them you know is always a crowd pleaser it is dark chocolate cacao the darker the chocolate the more cacao which is the bioactives which contains the bioactives the the flavanols found in the cacao bean, which is a plant-based food. Um, You know, look, chocolate's a confection. It's got all kinds of other stuff in it. But but the dark chocolate, the darker you get, the more good stuff you actually get from Mother Nature. And there's been an amazing clinical trial um, coming out of uh, San Francisco uh, that looked at, you know, uh, uh, men in their uh, 60s who actually had heart disease. So these are the people who actually need stem cells to regenerate damaged or starving areas of their heart. And they gave them... Um, dark chocolate in the form of hot chocolate to drink twice a day. That's it. And they measured their uh, stem, how many blo- stem cells in their blood um, from the beginning. And they also measured their blood flow at the beginning. And they just had them drink, you know, these two cups of hot cocoa for a month. Then afterwards they measured the number of stem cells in her blood and also the blood flow again. And guess what? When they're, it, the, just only drinking dark chocolate doubled the number of stem cells in their bloodstream doubled and it also doubled their ability to up their blood flow which is what you want right and so you here you have the stem cells being called out with a food it's really really quite uh remarkable uh what it can do we also know that fish oil will do the same thing those omega-3 pufas or polyunsaturated fatty acids that you find in salmon uh, or tuna or yellowtail or Frankly, in my book, I write about things that people don't even know about, which is, um, you know, even certain shellfish like manila clams and mussels um, also are like packed with omega-3 fatty acids. Well, it turns out that, you know, um, uh, uh, a diet that's rich in this fish oil actually uh, can actually increase the number of stem cells that are pushed into the body. So I'm just saying that, so here's another example of, of a food that we know is good for us. And that was an explanation and the, and the, and the uh, advantages are even better than we thought.
1: When you mentioned dark chocolate, cacao and omega threes, two things that I'm, I'm aware of. And I'll tell you my two issues. One is, you know, I have a sweet tooth, so I have convinced myself and I've, I've managed to do this at night after I eat dinner, I have to have something sweet. So I have moved to dark chocolate and raisins, all right? And those two things will satisfy my sweet tooth, and I convince myself that I'm doing something that's healthy. However, here's my problem. One is when I say dark chocolate, I am doing about 80% dark, but I'll eat, you know, half of a chocolate bar. So it's like six of those little squares and some raisins, and I'm of the belief that sugar is the devil, and I look at the sugar intake I have, and I go, You know what, Chris? You're doing more harm than good, and I start beating myself up again. So, you know, how do we balance these things that we want to eat, whether it be fruits that have fructose or chocolate that has sugar, with the benefits of it?
2: Right. Well, I guess you know you're bringing up a an issue that many people are are struggling with in their real lives, which is, you know, how to control um, their own tendencies. And, you know, th- we know that sugar, salt, and fat are highly addictive substances. Our brain loves it. And it's kind of like crack, you know, like they're the, they're the crack of food. Um, once you have it in there, uh, you really start to become addicted to it. Um, here's what I would say. Um, recognize that chocolate um, is really a confection. It's filled with sugar. If you go to dark chocolate, though, it gets less sweet and you get more of the good stuff and less of the addictive stuff. So the darker the chocolate you go, the less sugar you're actually getting to kind of like lull yourself into a sense of addiction. Mm -hmm. The other thing I think is, um, you know, raisins themselves are pretty sweet. Um, But if you wanted to actually look for, um, uh, you know, like chocolate and raisins, um, you know, one thing you could do is to kind of like... um, First of all, look for raisins that are made from red grapes because they're going to have more stuff, good stuff, in their skin. But secondly, you know, this is, I guess, what I, uh, how I, how I have uh, uh, counseled my own patients. You know, I mean, do you, do you, uh, Chris, do you, do you have a, do you have a pet? Do you have a dog or anything? We have, we have a cat. All right. So look, um, uh, what do you do when you actually feed your cat? You take a, you take a scoop of something or a can of something, and you put it in their bowl. And that's it. That's all they get. Yeah. And that's how you, as the owner, are taking care of your animals that would eat there, sit there and eat forever mm-hmm. if you let them, give them in- infinite food. And what you're doing is you're doing them a favor by helping them stay healthier while still f- satisfying their needs. What I would say is it might be helpful to you to actually meter out with whatever it is that you want to use, a plastic bag, a scoop, you know, uh, a little cup, like a little rice cup, um and of just all the, the of you know like one scoop of whatever it is that you want to have um, and that's it that's your that's your serving hmm. and if you can going kind to of keep it like that it, you know it 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 actually will help you get what you want to have your desire but it kind of disciplines you to limit what it is that you're going to actually be, have in front of you to consume
1: how do you feel about supplements and the reason i bring that up is i know fish oil is one of the most popular supplements do you think, or, or what does the science show on the efficacy of perhaps a fish oil versus eating wild-caught salmon?
2: Yeah, so look, I mean, uh, I have a really important answer to that, which is that there is now science to supplements. About, you know, 10 years ago, if you would ask asked me the same question, I, I would have actually said, you know, uh, dietary supplements are, you know, that's actually for the hoo-hoo crowd. But I will tell you that, you know, the supplements allow us to get specific ingredients, bioactive ingredients at a concentration that's much more difficult to actually get in eating whole foods. Now, that said, uh, I am a big proponent of eating whole plant-based, locally sourced, you know, organic um, and home-cooked foods, not in huge quantities, but in moderate um, uh, moderation and in and, and modest quantities. But I can tell you that things like omega-3 fatty acids, it's very difficult to eat fish every single day, but you should have omega-3 fatty acids every day. So to have a dietary supplement with that is probably a better way to actually um, get that into your body on a regular basis compared to trying to get fish. The other thing about fish, um, you know, if you don't live near the coast, you might not be able to get fresh fish, and there's nothing worse than poor quality fish, right? right? So that's that's something really important, you know, I think for your listeners to, to hear, is that, you know, um, I think that the key thing is to really look – at here's another supplement that's really important you can't get from food is vitamin D3. Vitamin D, actually D3, has been shown to you know be very, very empower, po- important for lowering the risk of cancer, cardiovascular disease, a number of other chronic conditions. There's no way you can eat enough um, uh, food to actually get 5,000 international units a day plus some sunlight. Um, and so again – I think that, you know, our science has evolved enough for us to know how we can actually boost um, uh, our, some of our body's defense systems, and, and, and in some cases, having a supplement is, is good. But, but hear this. Supplement means just what it sounds like. It's supplemental. It's not replacing. And so what I would say is it's really important, Chris, to focus on um, adding the right number of, of foods, mostly plant-based to you know, to your meals every day in moderate amounts, cook them, um, you know, keep, get them fresh, um, uh, uh, put them together and cook them in ways that you love and don't eat too much of it. And then if, and then just knowing what other ways you can supplement yourself, then you go into the supplement.
0: And now a quick word from this week's sponsor. As you may remember, a few weeks ago, I discovered Everly Well the amazing at-home wellness test that helps you better understand your health. I received my Everly Well at-home lab test and tested myself for food sensitivity. A few days ago, I received the results and I found out that I have high reactivity to cow's milk and a moderate reactivity to almonds, yogurt, and egg whites. I honestly had no idea. And now knowing this, I can make sure that what I'm putting into my body doesn't affect me too much. EverlyWell has really given me a positive new outlook on my health. Finally, I have some information I can use. EverlyWell offers more than 30 different at-home lab tests, from fertility to food sensitivity to thyroid and heart health. Each EverlyWell test comes with super easy-to-follow instructions, and every test is physician-reviewed and the shipping is free. Your results come from certified labs and they are sent directly to your mobile device so you can easily view and share them with your healthcare provider. Your results are personalized and easy to understand so you know exactly what they mean for you. Now that I know which foods I'm sensitive to, I know which ones I should avoid or at least only consume in moderation. To start better understanding your health like I did, check out EverlyWell today. For 15% off an Everlywell at-home lab test, visit everlywell.com/smartpeople and enter code smartpeople. That's everlywell.com/smartpeople and code smartpeople for 15% off your test. Everlywell at-home lab tests. Your answers, your way. And now back to the episode.
1: I want to talk a little bit, there's, of course, there's five of these natural defense systems. Uh, We've talked about angiogenesis, regeneration. The third is microbiome. I have kind of two questions. The first is, what is the honest science about the microbiome today? And my second question is, I'm really getting sick of this term leaky gut, not because I don't believe it, but just because it's everywhere. They make it seem like everybody is just dying based off the food we're eating. So if you could tell us what the science really says about the microbiome, and then is there truth to this leaky gut thing that we all hear about? And if so, what do we need to do?
2: Great question. Um, and I think about that my, myself a lot. First of all, you know, it was a long time ago, more than 100 years ago, that, you um, Uh, A Nobel Prize winner um, uh, named Mechnikov actually uh, observed that um, people who were pretty poor but eating yogurt in Bulgaria actually had um, pretty good health. They lived a long time. And he looked inside the yogurt and realized it's full of bacteria. Now, we know bacteria can be very harmful. But back then, you know, this scientist Mechnikov, by the way, he won the Nobel Prize, so you know probably he was a pretty smart guy thought that maybe um, the the Bulgarian poor Bulgarian people um, actually eating yogurt were introducing bacteria probiotics into their gut that actually was helping them stay healthy um, and indeed if you fast forward to today that's what the research is showing. So what do we know about the microbiome here's what we know um, we know that there's 39 trillion or so bacteria in our gut we know that That's just about as many human cells as we have. So we're not really even fully human. Like we're part bacteria and part human. We know that um, of those 39 trillion, it's not about magic single bacteria, but really kind of the ecosystem, the makeup of the neighborhoods. So, you know, I mean, it's like going into any city in America you know, you got some good neighborhoods, you got some bad neighborhoods, you got some poor neighborhoods, you got some, you know, um, less affluent uh, uh, and more affluent neighborhoods. Um, It's really the mix of all of the perfect mix that really makes the city or the microbiome function. We also know that, by the way, the microbiome is not just in the gut. So we got to understand that our bacteria is growing, got got bacteria growing everywhere on our skin, um, in our mouth, uh, under our fingernails. You know, and every, rep- every, every opening an orifice in a reproductive system in a GI tract. And by the way, recently it was even discovered there's a microbiome on our eyeballs, which is crazy. Wow. There's healthy bacteria that prevents our eyes from getting sick by living as a thin layer protecting our eyes, right? Okay, so I just told you some like pretty like mind-blowing kinds of things, but there's a lot more we don't know. And so I'll be the first to, to admit to you as a scientist that there's a lot more we don't know about the microbiome. And we're just at the beginning of a long era, probably the next hundred years, honestly, but, uh, until we really have our arms really around this. We know it's important, but we it's, is that, but it's, it's important to know what we don't know. And there's a lot of things we don't know. I want to just address leaky gut for a second. Look, um, uh, we know that people who have um, intestinal discomfort, often terrible, irritable, inflamed guts. Um, also, uh, seem to have a really damaged or um, uh, a deranged um, a neighborhood of bacteria. So, you know, it's kind of like the bad kids came in and started to, you know, make crack houses or or um, uh, uh, gangs in a neighborhood, and they've crowded out all the good people, and and uh, really causing a lot of trouble. Um, Do we know every single bad bad bacteria? Not really. Do we know who the good bacteria need to go in there? You know, we have an idea, but we're not really certain. Are we ready for prime time to actually have a stool test that will actually tell us exactly what we need to do to avoid leaky gut or whatever that is? Mm, Not really. We do know that a good proper balance of bacteria that only our body knows right now is going to be what helps to calm our immune system which is connected to our guts. Here's, by the way, here's another kind of like surprising thing that, that we didn't know when I was in medical school. I, we used to think that I was taught that our immune system was like in our um, lymph nodes, our thymus gland, um, uh, in our spleen. But we actually, we now know that, you know, a good 70% of our immune system is actually sitting like a jelly roll inside our intestines. And next to that jelly roll, which is our immune system, is what? Our microbiome. Our bacteria talk directly to the immune system. And so I what I want to actually emphasize, you know, in, in this conversation is that we know the microbiome is important. We know it's associated with problems in the gut and elsewhere in the body, including probably all autism, Parkinson's, heart disease, cancer. But we're just beginning to tease this whole thing apart. So we're not, it's not ready for prime timing to solve that problem. But what's exciting is that there is some research showing foods that we can eat can help to right-size um, our, our gut bacteria. One of the foods, for example, that I like to talk about is pomegranate. One glass of pomegranate juice changes the mucus in our, bacteria, in our gut to help healthy bacteria grow back oh, wow. uh, into the gut. Um, it's called acromasia. It's been found by researchers looking at cancer to be super important to fight cancer. And it probably is, that that bacteria probably communicates to our immune system in a way that allows uh, our immune cells to conduct surveillance, to look for cancers every single day. So I drink one glass of full test pomegranate juice every single day because of the research that I've seen on it. Um, uh, uh, You can also um, uh, feed our gut bacteria, our healthy, healthy gut bacteria with prebiotics now what are prebiotics well dietary fiber which comes in you know the stocks of um uh, of uh, uh, of broccoli which comes in mushrooms especially mushroom stems um which can come in bamboo shoots there's a lot of different ways you can actually get dietary fiber and also whole grains can actually give you dietary fiber as well um, tree nuts walnuts pecans uh, almonds pistachios macadamias uh, uh, all great ways of getting, um, uh, fiber. Guess what? When we absorb, after we absorb all the good stuff from that food, the insoluble dietary fiber that we can't digest, we used to think 20 years ago that that fiber just kind of irritated your colon. So it kept your colon squeezing so you could poop out and be regular mm-hmm. on your diet. turns out that the reality is that what really happens is that the stuff that we can't digest and absorb um, uh, feeds our gut bacteria. A healthy gut bacteria loves that dietary fiber. Once you feed them, you know they kind of like digest uh, the, that dietary fiber, and they release um, uh, these tiny little particles called um, short chain fatty acids. Um, uh, let's see, how would I talk about that? You know, like when a shark bites on a fish and it shakes its head around, it puts like little particles everywhere in the yeah. water, right? right? So that's what the, that, think about the microbiome doing that to your dietary fiber. It's just like creating all these kind of little fragments in the water. Those fragments get absorbed through the intestines back into your bloodstream, and guess what they do? They're anti-inflammatory. They help your body lower lipids. They help your body control blood sugar. They um, activate even your brain um, uh, to release social hormones. They protect against bad blood vessels feeding cancers. And so again, there's no simple, you know, this is a way to eat, eat away your, your irritable gut. Uh, you know, I think that's the oversimplification. What I'm telling you and sharing with you is just a little bit of the tip of the iceberg. And, of course, you, besides prebiotics, you can actually have eat foods that contain bacteria like fermented foods, sauerkraut, kimchi, um, uh, yogurt, all great ways of actually getting bacteria. Um, sometimes eating some forms of cheese actually can um, uh, also introduce um, healthy bacteria. Uh, into our gut. Of course, then staying away from foods that damage our gut is, you know, here's one way of, uh, here's one way of thinking about avoiding foods that are not good for you. Um, Anybody that is contemplating having a burger, a hot dog, you know, a giant T-bone steak, look, man, if you really love that stuff, you know, eat a little bit of it. But I can tell you all the data says that red meat, eating red meat and processed meats is not good for your health. If you have to have it for taste, you know, Snack on it a little bit or whatever, but, but or cut it out, be better. But we do know that eating red meat and processed meats actually damage your microbiome, it wreaks havoc on that neighborhood. It's like just pouring, you know, protesters um, into the streets of your, of your gut neighborhood and causing all kinds of mayhem.
1: See, that's an interesting one because, and, and I'm sure it's true, I know there's a lot of negative news out there about red meat specifically. My question is kind of twofold. What about the other types of meat? So what about, say, chicken? And then the other thing is, uh, from an evolutionary perspective, wouldn't it make sense that we can eat meat? Aren't we omnivores at
2: our core? And I, I don't know. This is where it gets so tricky. Like, Why would red meat be bad? Right. Well, look... I don't think that it's that red meat itself is bad it is the excessive amount of red meat mm. that we eat in western societies specifically the typical western diet so they call it so we don't like to actually you know character assassinate any countries but we do call it a typical western diet which is you know, huge amounts of, of animal protein from meat, which also contains saturated fats. And so you're immediately, and then a minimal amount or a little bit of vegetables or plant based foods, um, and, and oftentimes unhealthy oils. Right. Mm. Um, and so that's kind of the complete opposite. That's the industrial food revolution. It's complete opposite of like, um, what we know, um, our bodies evolutionary were adapted to think about it. Back in the Neolithic or Paleolithic days, how did we live? Like, basically, we lived in caves. We walked around, um, uh, migrated across fields. What did we have to eat, mostly? Not animals. We ate stuff on, on growing out of the ground. Mm. We picked—humans pick things out of the trees, out of the woods, okay? Occasionally, you might, you know, find a woolly mammoth or, you know, a hippo or something that's down. But, you know, like, it takes a lot of energy to go hunt down an animal. And back then— with evolution, you know, it's not in your survival advantage to spend all your energy hunting things down. That makes so, sense, yeah. We could eat meat. A little meat's fine. And actually, back in those days, you know, having some animal protein with iron and having fat to store against the winter, you know, those were important things to do. But it was far, few far, few and far between. Um, Okay. Um, now fast forward. And by the way, you see the same pattern like in a lot of indigenous um, uh, societies now in in Latin America or in Africa. But fast forward to, you know, post 1950s, you know, industrial era in America. I mean, look, um, you know, you could I mean, you've seen like those gigantic two inch gigantic steaks. I mean, we eat meat like like it's candy, like there's no like there's no shortage of it and um and having that much meat at the expense of eating plant-based foods that provide the stuff that we used to eat is definitely harmful as it's harmful for our gut bacteria harmful for our uh, blood sugars harmful for our um uh, the clogging of our arteries and so I'm not an anti-meat person what I am what I am saying is that we need to understand that the dietary patterns that our bodies optimizes in order to be able to activate health defenses is mostly plant-based, and if you look at cultures like Asia or the Mediterranean, at least the traditional societies that, you know, have had really healthy meals, they ate mostly plants, and meat was kind of like a condiment, Mm -hmm. only a little bit. Yeah,
1: well, and one of the things that I love in, in your book, again, Eat to Beat Disease, you literally name here are some common diseases or issues, here is the mechanism behind it. Here is what you can eat to help with that. I mean, it's it's prescriptive. It's scientific. I love that aspect. You know, we, we've we touched on, and I know we don't have much more time left. I know we touched on the first three of our natural defense systems. The fourth is DNA protection. The fifth is immunity. You mentioned at the beginning, it's not necessarily if food is good or bad. It's how we react to that food. It's how we how the food works in our body. What do you recommend for finding what works for you? You know, is it a food elimination diet? Is it food testing? There's so many different things. Should we try paleo and then AIP? And then how do we figure out what foods work best for us?
2: Well, look, I mean, that's the billion dollar question, right? But it boils down to something pretty simple. What makes you feel good, right? I mean, in other words, um, we all know certain foods that we eat and certain quantities that we eat just make us feel crappy. My first kind of um, piece of advice is avoid the things that make you feel crappy. Avoid the volume of food that makes you feel crappy. There's no reason to put yourself in that situation. Our bodies actually tell us what we need, you know um, uh, every now and then, you know somebody who doesn't eat a lot of uh, fruit will crave an apple. You know that's your body's like fundamental system telling telling our brains, instructing our brains what. What we should be actually doing, what action we should take next, but I think that every, well, here's here's how I, I think really um, the best way to think about it. Every individual is different. We all respond to different things in different ways. No matter how um, uh, in general we try to make conclusions, the reality is is that the future is going to bring really kind of a personalized, individualized, you know, precision uh, diet. But we're not anywhere near there yet. So we got to start with where we where, where we are today. Don't eat anything that makes you feel crappy, number one. And don't eat volumes that make you feel crappy, number two. Take a look at the foods that you uh, – audit the foods. Like be honest. What are the foods that you really love? And I bet if you actually thought about it, you'd find some foods that you love that are actually good for you. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to make it really easy in my book Eat to Beat Disease. Um, I put in a, in a back chapter really a worksheet. Um, uh, that contains a list of all the foods that I mentioned in the book. So like more than 200 foods, right? So my book is not about what to cut out. It's about what to add. And what I tell my readers is look through this list, um, take a pencil, and, uh, and uh, uh, circle any food that you're like, hey, you know what? I actually like that. Hey, you know what? I, that, that thing I actually like. I can think of a way to eat that that I would really like. And start circling all the foods that you like. Well, if they're in my book, on my list, and you put a circle around them, hey, you've just given yourself the first clue on foods that you're motivated to eat, that you might like to eat, that are actually activating of your body's health defenses. Start with that. <clears throat> and then I think that the other thing is not to eat too much of anything. That, that's usually a big problem.
1: So I love that, and I know our time is coming to an end. I could talk to you for hours. I think the, the beauty is, we just scratched the surface of what is in a very full scientific, but readable book here. And so again, the book is Eat to Beat Disease, The New Science of How Your Body Can Heal Itself. Dr. Lee, before we let you go, I just kind of wanted to turn it over to you. Other than the book, what else do you have going on? Where else might you like to point our listeners who are really interested in, as I know many are, this topic of health and food?
2: Right. Well, listen, I I know that even though I wrote a 400 page book with 700 references and 200 foods, I know that there's so much more information that's out there that people are interested in. So for that reason, I actually tell people, look, if you, if you like this subject and you wanna follow up with on more information, come to my website, it's com. It's com. And one of the things I put on there that is actually a uh, shopping list. So what I did is I took the foods in the book and I actually went to shopping um, uh, to grocery stores and markets myself and we mapped out all the foods in my book that you would encounter and I put it into a shopping list in the way that you'd encounter it in, when you're doing shopping. So it's like the optimal – it's like the, the ultimate healthy shopping list and, and you can come to my website. You can download this for free. Um, uh, and, uh, you just sign up and, and you can get it. And I think that'll be like one way to actually uh, help. You can also follow me on social media. I'm at, um, at, uh, Dr. Dr. William Lee, L I, um, you can find me in, uh, uh Instagram. you can find me, um, on Facebook. Uh, I put recipes on there because, you know, I, I, I love to, I love to eat tasty food and, and, you know, I think that our food speaks to who we are, where we come from, uh, how we grew up our cultures and our own personal history. And so that's why, you know, for me, you know, there's good, healthy stuff, whether it's Mexican, Mediterranean, Asian, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Thai, you know, wherever you go, you can find something that's actually healthy for you. And I want people to feel like they can embrace healthy eating and they don't have to be afraid of it.
1: Well, and I think your book and your research does just that. All right, man. Great All right. talking to you. Thank you so much.
2: Bye-bye now. All Bye-bye.
0: That was Dr. William Lee, and I hope you enjoyed that interview. Dr. Lee's book, Eat to Beat Disease, can be found at your local bookstore and on Amazon. And I know you've heard it a thousand times, but if you do decide to purchase through Amazon, please make sure to use our Amazon link located at smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. Any purchase you make through that link comes at no extra cost to you, And it does greatly help support the show. But if you're looking for free and easy ways to support the show, head over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. If you'd ever like to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And of course, to stay up to date with all things Smart People Podcast, go sign up for the newsletter over at smartpeoplepodcast.com. All right, that's it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure you subscribe and tell a friend about the show. We've got a lot of excellent interviews coming up. So we'll see you all next episode.